We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Jesse, are you ready for rapid fire? I'm more than ready for rapid fire. I've been ready for this show all week. Uh, I was ready for the chat to be ready. So I think we got we got a lot to get into today. We do. We, we've got a long list. Rapid fire went for like an hour yesterday. Brent Smith has been here waiting <laughs> for you, stalking you. You know, so he's ready to mix it up That's with what I mean. in a little bit. So there's there's a lot that we can get to. Today, let's start with this though. Sam Hartman, Audric Estimate, Joe Alt, Blake Fisher, Javante Jean Baptiste, JD Bertrand, Maris Leofow, and Cam Hart all got NFL scouting combine invitations today. Which of those former Notre Dame players has the most to gain at the combine? Yeah, when you start looking at this list, um, I, I think three guys very clearly come to mind when it when talking about who has the most to gain. Um, I think Javante Jean-Baptiste, Blake Fisher, and Sam Hartman would be your kind of top three guys um, who had the most to prove. And I think uh, at the top of that list uh, would be Javante Jean-Baptiste. And then second on my list would be more than likely Sam Hartman. And then third on that list would be Blake Fisher. And I think Javante Jean-Baptiste has the most to prove um, because I think he put on – he had relatively good tape 
this season. But if you remember last year, we were or not last year, last week we were talking to Ryan about you know Javante Jean Baptiste's performance at the Senior Bowl. Right. And it felt like it was very underwhelming, and so um, just kind of hearing that and a guy who traditionally wasn't an every down defensive lineman until this season. I think he's got the most to prove amongst that group. And he was, he was the most surprising of that group to get an invitation. I didn't know if he would get one. Yeah. I was not sure what it was going to look like in terms of him, Bertrand or Leofau. And I just don't know, like Bertrand and Leofau are very curious to me. I don't know how much they necessarily have to gain. I think that they can both probably test really well. Yeah. But I think with them, it's what's on film that's going to go the farthest for them. So I don't know how much they can necessarily gain by this thing. I think you're right about Jean Baptiste because because of that that Senior Bowl, you know, maybe a lackluster if that's the way you know if that's what you want to call it. He does have a lot to gain, and I, I think he's he's got a big opportunity potentially. Blake Fisher, I was going back and forth a little bit on him, like how much can an offensive lineman really gain? Well, I think two people are just going to fall in love with his his upside still, like his ceiling yeah. is there, and he's got such a he's got a frame that a lot of coaches are going to be googly eye over, right? Like he he looks like an NFL offensive lineman. I just don't think he's performed enough to be an NFL lineman, so. I think that when you draft someone like Blake Fisher, it's not a project, but I still think it's like a mini project, right? Like he's still got some work to do, but he's got all the tools already there. I don't think, I think Javante Jean-Baptiste has got as much closer to his ceiling than what Blake Fisher is. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree. Yeah. There's, there's still a lot more for Blake Fisher to go to. I do agree with that. I think Andrew Estime, I, I have him, like I think he has a lot to gain. He could really this. climb the board. That's what I'm looking at. Like because he's a running back, because of the position, if he tests well, especially with the speed numbers and shows what kind of hands he has and the agility, I think that he is someone who can who can potentially, you know, cuz like a typical running back is going to go third round and later. You know, that's just the way the position is obviously viewed now, but I think Estime because of again, like the film that he has, if he can test well and really show out at the combine, he can push himself like potentially into the like the upper second half of the second round type guy. I think so. I think that he's got a ton to gain. Like yeah, he's, he's the one that I disconnect between the numbers that Audric Estime put on the field and the tape, and then how he was perceived by the national media. Because he right. wasn't even a Doke Walker finalist, right? But he. Right. He Which led a lot of the country in, uh, you know, many like yards per average yards per rush, touchdowns, yards like per he he was up there in a lot of statistical categories. But there's some sort of disconnect between that and how he's being viewed by NFL scouts. And so if he can match what he's done all season at the combine and maybe even be better, then I think his stock can definitely rise. Yeah. As far as Hartman, okay, so here are the quarterbacks who got invited. Jaden Daniels, Sam Hartman, Devin Leary, Drake May, J.J. McCarthy, Joe Milton, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, Michael Pratt, Spencer Rattler, Austin Reed, Keaton Slovis, Jordan Travis, and Caleb Williams, of course, got invited. So I think it's that's pretty important that Hartman did get invited. I still just don't know how, how much – he can improve his stock for, you know, based on where he's at right now. And, and, you know, again, like 
we talked last week, the practice versus the actual game in the Senior Bowl. He didn't seem to have, you know, a great Senior Bowl experience all the way around, whether it was practice or the game. So I just, I'm not sure what, how much upside there is for Sam Hartman still being a six-year yeah, guy and everything Sam, else. With Sam Hartman, it was just important to get that invite because when you yeah. look at that list, like if you if you saw that list at the beginning of the season, right, and like imagine going back August 15th and you look at that list and you say, this is the list of guys who are going to get invited to the Combine. Really, the only people that I would scratch my head about are Austin Reed and Keaton Slovis from BYU, right? And so – I think Sam Hartman getting that invite and being on that list is a big thing in itself. Um, but I think really like, I feel like Sam Hartman would benefit from something like the combine, because I think he's a guy who is a quarterback that's driven about, you know, rhythm timing routes and stuff like that. And so I think that's, that's why true. he struggled in the game itself is because I don't think he had that rhythm and connection with his wide receivers, but that doesn't matter at the combine. He's a, I think he's a combine type quarterback a practice type quarterback who's going to throw a lot of nice balls and test well in combine setting and, and how that translates over to the game I'm not sure but I still think if he can put a show on at the combine you, you might get distracted from his actual kind of game performance I think he'll yeah I think he'll test well and I think that he'll also interview very well yes. when he sits down with teams he's going to impress a lot of teams just with his personality his intelligence and the whole thing. So I think you're right. Like it is very important just that he got invited and gets to go through this process because I think that that up close is going to potentially do, you know, it, it, it can do him some good. I guess. I, that's, and I mean, that's really, when you look at that list, I think, I think Jaden Daniels, Drake may Caleb Williams are the guys who stick out, but I think Sam Hartman is going to like, He's going to be a lot closer to Bo Nix and Michael Penix than what a lot of people realize. So I think I, I really think like as long as he shrinks that gap between kind of like that middle tier of these quarterbacks, that should be really his objective. <laughs> oh, Bryce, I know you can't be serious about this. He said Caleb Williams is going to be third round. Him and yes. Brent Smith must be good friends. Wishful thinking. Very wishful thinking. He might be, you know. Uh, he he will not only not be third round, he won't even be number three picks. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, know, Bryce. Have you I ever... realize we're I realize you know it's a Notre Dame crowd, and you know, like people have their their Caleb Williams, you know, opinions, but just don't quite see that happening. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Okay, so this is defensive back Jordan Clark. He's the son of ESPN analyst, former NFL player Ryan Clark. Jordan Clark transferred from Arizona State to Notre Dame last month. He's a grad student here now, and uh, he... uh, he suffered a leg injury in his second game of last season at Arizona State, and he talked about it late last week when we got to speak to, with him for the first time. So here's what he had to say about that. Um, I had a like a really bad quad contusion, and it swelled up. I had to get like 300 cc's of blood drawn out of my leg uh, towards the end of the year. Um, it was a nagging thing for sure. I wasn't really healthy for the majority of the year, but ultimately, I feel like if you can play, you should play. Um, and I was able to to make it happen. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, you know, it's, it's not an excuse for anything. Um, but uh, I wasn't I wasn't healthy the majority of last year. I'm excited to to be healthy this year. No, I mean I I love this. Like this is what I wanted to do my entire life. Um, and I think having the opportunity to do it, I don't want to waste any games. I don't want to waste any opportunities that I have to go out there and play, uh, especially with my brothers. Oh, yeah. like, there were guys on that team that I'm never going to play with again. Um, so if I can't play, I'm always going to play. Um, and I'm going to compete, honestly. I have, I'm delusional. I, I think that whether I'm 40%, 30%, that I'm going to win. So uh, ultimately, yeah, it was tough being hurt, but it didn't really affect me too much. And I'm trying to remember now, Jesse, because I've heard the different clips a few times. Did he mention the fact that he had blood, like, withdrawn yeah. from that leg? Okay. Yeah. So so when you hear all that, what do you think of of uh, Jordan Clark when you hear him talk about all that stuff? Toughness. I mean, that's that's really the first word that came to mind, and, and re- resiliency as well. Because, you know, I'm going to break it to a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of people know this. Like football players are, are usually hurt the entire season. Some right. sort of injury, some difference sort of difference between hurt and injured. Is... Right. <laughs> and so there's there's always stuff that's nagging. And I, again, I just think it shows, you know, his his toughness, his resiliency, and, and his overall commitment to kind of the overall bigger picture. He's putting, you know, the team over his own personal, you know, health, success, that sort of stuff, pain. And I, it shows that his goals, you know, his the bigger goal is how he can contribute to the team. It's not all about, 
you know, himself. So I, I think when you're talking about Notre Dame and the type of defense that they have, I, I think he's a perfect fit. No, I absolutely agree. And uh, like to hear him start talking about that, you know, it's like, oh, I had like, oh, you know, blood withdrawn and deep thigh contusion and all that different kind of stuff. And I, I think it makes you look at like when you start to look at his film from last year, which was solid, not necessarily spectacular, but, you know, really good. And he's obviously very experienced. But then you throw that into the equation, the fact that he he played the last 10 games with all that going on and the fact that they did have to do that to his leg, you know, while he's going through that, it definitely like it like, again, this is the, the son of, of Ryan Clark. You see Ryan Clark on TV all the time. So I think you automatically sort of, and he talked about this as well. That's automatically going to change sort of how you, you look at this guy, you know, he's the son of an NFL player and all that kind of stuff. So you start going, well, is there entitlement or, you know, does he work for what he's got? And then you hear, you know, again, like him going through this kind of stuff. And, and it, 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 it just really, I think, makes you appreciate a guy like that even more. Like, you know, and we know that there were guys for Notre Dame who were going, you know, who who played through injury, like injuries slash being hurt, you know, again, to, to whatever degree that you want to call it. But you bring a guy in with that kind of toughness factor, and he's got all these other intangibles that go with it. And I just think that that's nothing but good. It's the kind of guy that you want on your team, especially when you hear him you know, talk like that. It's like, look, I, I want to be out there. This is what I want to be. You know, this is what I want to be doing. And you hear him say that. And I think it's pretty cool. You know, you got a guy like that, that you add to your team. And again, look, you look at his play a little bit differently, knowing right. that he was playing through that kind of stuff last year. So here's Clark on the pitch that Notre Dame made him when he made his uh, visit to Notre Dame in December when he was deciding on where he was going to go. They just had it all set up to to show me that why I fit in their defense. It wasn't like they were just coming to get me because I was a guy in a position of need that had hit the portal. They wanted to let me know that it was specific to me, like I fit the role. Um, and I think that that kind of attention to detail and them really knowing me, having really studied and watched my film and um, showing me how I fit here, that meant everything to me. So, um, yeah, that and then Coach Golden being in the NFL, you know, all the knowledge and things that I can take from him while I'm here, uh, it was a no-brainer. And I thought that kind of adding on to that, it wasn't part of this clip, but he talked about it in a shorter, you know, little thing later. They put they put clips of him and Thomas Harper side by side when they were sitting down with him and showing him like, this is you. This is what Thomas Harper was doing for us. This is how we see you, you know, fitting into the defense because he's going to play the same position, that nickel position. So, again, what do you think when you hear Jordan Clark talk about that? Yeah, I, I think that Notre Dame is doing a tremendous job of they're not just going to the top talented players in the portal and be like, we need you, right? They are going and and showing, giving a, a presentation, I guess you could say, right. of why this player fits into their scheme. And I think that it goes a long way with players because it shows that you put the time and effort in to give them specifics about – how they're going to fit and not just a bunch of blanket statements and ultimately maybe even lies, right? Like, a, a, like, Oh, this is, this is, you know, you're, you're the top rated player. 
This is how it's going to fit. They're giving him specific examples based, like I said, a presentation, PowerPoint presentation on how it's going to go. And I thought another key thing that Clark said was he added on that, you know, without Golden's NFL experience, that was a big deciding factor as well. Yep. And I think that that goes for more than just people than Ryan or for people more than Clark, right? Because and I think that's why Al Golden is so important to Notre Dame and, and their success recently is he's running a scheme that's going to translate to the NFL. And if, if these guys have aspirations to go to the NFL, you want the best shot at success at the next level. And so when you combine, you know, Al Golden's experience, you combine that Notre Dame has done their homework and shown this guy, hey, this is this is you side by side, someone else in our defense. And this is why we think you're going to be better at it. Right. It's just like, how do you say no to something like that? Yeah. They've like listening to because RJ Oban talked about some of the same kind of stuff about how when he came in that Al Washington and Marcus Freeman were sitting down with him and showing showing him, you know, like Javante Jean-Baptiste kind of stuff, because that's where RJ Oban is going to play. Same side, the strong side defensive end. And, you know, again, like the same with with uh Jordan Clark, the fact that they're they're not just like you said, they're they're not just saying, hey, let's go, like here's this guy looks pretty good. Let's go see what he's got to offer. They're already prepared for him. They've talked about it before that like you can't wait until these guys enter the transfer portal and then start doing your homework. You've got to be up on them right away. So, like when you when you wonder sometimes what some of those analysts are doing, there is probably a list that they have some of these analysts tracking and as the season goes on or maybe late in the season they're uh they're starting to look at that and like okay these guys could be transfer portal type guys let's get some film on these guys and have it ready to go and start looking at them and seeing do we want this guy or not they've obviously done a lot of homework on very specific guys and i think that 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 work is is paid off for them it paid off last year and yeah. when you look at these kind of guys this year I, because again they're addressing specific needs it's not like they're using the transfer portal as a roster overhaul right. they're not just know. going to the portal and saying you know we need a wide receiver give us the most the biggest name wide receiver out there they're right they have preparation they have notes and they're finding the guy that fits the mold to how their defense is going to be best executed right Tommy asked this earlier. I didn't get to this when Ryan was still here. This has been the craziest offseason since blank. He asks, do you like, do you think I, I actually think that last offseason was crazier than this offseason with all the stuff with Tommy Reese leaving all of a sudden? Hartman. And yeah, like Hartman coming in. And the I guess my thing, argument would that be, happened with Ludwig and all that stuff. So, like, my argument would be quarterback again this year. So, Riley Leonard and Hartman kind of cancel each other. Yeah. Um, Offensive coordinator again because Tommy Reese left unexpectedly. And I would say that um, – shoot, what's his name? I can't – I don't know why I can't think of the guy that just left for Troy. Um, Jared Parker. Jared Parker. Jared Parker left unexpectedly, right? Like no one expected him to leave after one year for a head coaching job. So those two cancel each other out. And then the thing that's like the tipping of the scale – Tommy said his question wasn't Notre Dame-based. Oh. But, okay. I just assumed – that it was, but go ahead. What were you going to say? The tipping what? The like, if we're looking at this Notre Dame specific, the tipping point on the scale for me is like, when's the last time Notre Dame had to fire a coach in the manner that they kind of had to fire Stucky? Right. 
And so that's kind of the tipping point for me of why it might have been crazier is because you saw a lot of parallels, again, between Leonard and Hartman and, and you know, uh, the offensive coordinator situation. But I can't remember a time Notre Dame had to, to blatantly. I Hartman. don't know. I, it's been a long day. It's blatantly <laughs> had to fire a coach like that, right? And so I don't – like that's not good look on Notre Dame. And I can't remember there's been a moment like that where, you know, a coach had to be ultimately dismissed, right, for such yeah. a lack of performance and a for lack sure. of, of relationships with players and stuff. And when you hear that, like us as a fan base, we were just like, really? Like that's that's so toxic, right? And so I guess I hadn't seen kind of like that toxicity around Notre Dame football so much. And like and, and to the point where like Marcus Freeman got vocal with him in a public setting where a lot of people heard too. So like that was what would make this season a little bit crazier for me. And then all of the wide receivers, you know, following after that, essentially deciding to leave. Yeah. I think if you open it up to more nationally, and I agree with what you're saying on Chancey Stuckey, that is a very unique situation, obviously. So that, you know, that was a little bit crazy, but like when you look at the fact that two of the, the best coaches of all time, one in the NFL and one in college football, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, both, gone at the same time uh you know in the same offseason basically within just freaking days of each other that that alters things and then you look at the ripple effect that that's had Jim Harbaugh going back to the NFL Caleb DeBoer leaving a team that played for a national championship to go take over at Alabama you know and just all these these other things that have you know the trickle down effect that all of these things have had it's I think if you start with Saban and Belichick, it's definitely been a crazy offseason. And like I, I don't think that we ever would have thought that we'd have would have seen that going on at the same time. So with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes winning three of the last five Super Bowls, do you now buy or sell them as the NFL's new villains? Um this is I have two answers for this question. In terms okay. of winning and success, I do think you have to buy them as the villains, right? Like this this is a dynasty at this point. And the scariest part about this dynasty is that the last two years were supposed to be reload years for the Chiefs, specifically this last season, right? Like they this year was supposed to be kind of like, all right, let's rebuild and get some depth back at you know some critical roster spots, etc. Well, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid still won. The Super Bowl, right? And everyone was like, oh, well, they got rid of Tyreek Hill. What can they really do? Well, <laughs> they have two Super Bowls ever since getting rid of I know. Tyreek Hill. And so, like, this season they got it done with an old tight end and a rookie wide receiver and Patrick Mahomes, essentially. And, of course, an incredible defense. I don't personally see them as villains, though, because, like, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, like, I, I can't look at them and be like, I hate you guys, you know? Yeah, like, I mean – I have respect for them more than I have villainous, you know, thoughts about them. When I look at the alternatives, like even though I'm not a Chiefs fan because of where I'm from and everything else, I would still rather see, like if I have to see a team win a whole bunch of games and win a bunch of championships and because of who that, you know, those two guys you just mentioned, Mahomes and Reed, I would definitely rather see them than a lot of other teams. But, you know, like even – like back in the early Patriots days when they won their back-to-back -back Super Bowls and, you know, everything else, I never really despised, you know, either Tom Brady or Belichick or the Patriots. It's a lot of what you're talking about, respected it. Now, 
where things started to turn a little bit, obviously, was when you started to hear about Spygate and right. you know, just like Belichick's personality and all that stuff. But like the Brady stuff, I still, you know, like never really minded that much, you know, and I realize, you know, like Vince would, would, you know, be out here wanting to strangle me for, for saying that <laughs> since he's a Michigan guy and all that. So they obviously, it, it, but it was, it was much easier, I think, because of Belichick for, for them to become the NFL's villains. But I mean, it, it, it basically, it happens with every team that becomes a dynasty. The more you win, you're going to have just like with Notre Dame, you're going to have your share of the bandwagon fans, but you're also going to start building a lot more haters because everyone wants to be like, I guarantee you, Buffalo doesn't see, you know, <laughs> Buffalo already sees Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid as the villains, right? you know, and in some of these other teams, you know, like San Francisco is probably feeling it right now. I don't know if Brent is still here or not, but they've lost two of these Super Bowls to them. So, you know, me personally, I don't necessarily see them in that light, but I do think because they have now won three in five years and and Patrick Mahomes is so young and the, the odds are that they're just going to keep on winning despite the fact that there are so many other good young quarterbacks in the NFL, it's only natural that, that you know, that they're going to, you know, for, for whatever people don't already consider them the villains, a lot more people are going to see them in that light now going forward. I agree. And, you know, I, I think a, a, a question came up in the chat that I'm curious to see your response on. I don't the, the context is off, but do you did you have a problem with Kelsey and Andy Reid's moment on the sideline during the game like a lot of people did? No. Not I thought at all. blown way out of proportion. I think you have a now, did it did it look probably you know worse than it was? Yeah, but I mean Kelsey basically wanted to be on the field and he was pissed that he that's, wasn't on the field. I mean, field. yeah, that's what it came down to is he's so ultra competitive and he had zero, basically zero receptions and zero yards in the first half. He was just letting his coach know that I want to contribute. You know, this is the Super Bowl. I'm our best offensive weapon. Right. And I just think that and the guy that Andy off the guy that the tight end who looking. was on the field instead of him was supposed to block as the guy who made the play on the Pacheco fumble, you know? Right. And he's not happy about it. And he's like, you know, he's literally the best tight end in the game. So I had no I had no problem with it. Now, I mean, honestly, this, to me, he's the greatest tight end of all time because he just – what he's done in the playoffs with Patrick Mahomes, they've, surpra they've surpassed all of Gronk's and Brady's t records. I hold Kelsey up there as just as important of a guy as Patrick Mahomes in terms of their playoff success. Right. And it's and, just that the, the competitor coming out of him – on the sideline. I think they have enough. It respect goes back to the Jordan Clark stuff that we were talking, you know, and it's not like, you know, we don't know if Jordan Clark is going to blow up and stuff, but he's talking about playing through injuries, stuff that Kelsey has done, stuff that Mahomes has done, but like you want guys who want to go out there and compete. And obviously Travis Kelsey wants to go out there and compete. And that's what that was about. And like chief Brody says, I would have punched the guy in the face if he talked to me like that. Well, that's why Andy Reed is where he is right now, because <laughs> He has the kind of personality. He's had those kind of things happen in the past. He knows the he knows the guys that he's got in his team. He has you know, there's a there's a different relationship that he and Travis Kelsey has. He knows Travis Kelsey. They've got the kind of relationship that you know Travis Kelsey can get pissed like that. Look, it's the NFL. It's not college. You know, <laughs> these are all grown men. Yeah, that's right.
So, yeah, Reed did have T.O. He had him for a couple of years, but he had him. So we're going to talk about Kelsey more here in just a little bit, TD4ND. So <laughs> I'm, 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 separating, I'm separating Travis Kelsey, the player, and the competitor from some of the other stuff. So just know that as we <laughs> will have that come up here in a little bit. But on the Andy Reid subject, 258 career wins. He's 44 behind Bill Belichick, who has 26 wins behind Don Shula for the most wins in NFL history. Scale of 1 to 10, what chance do you give Reid to have more wins than Belichick when their careers are over? Yeah, so like, let's start doing a little bit of math here, right? So he's 44 behind Belichick who's 26 behind Shula, you combine those two numbers together, that's about 70, you know, 70, 70 more wins. wins. And and that's assuming, I mean, Bill Belichick has basically said that that's kind of his last milestone, right? So I don't, He wants I, to pass Shula. He wants and I don't see him, like, hanging around much longer after that type situation. So, like, let's but The maybe, question is, is he going to get a job next year right. to have a chance to? So, like, let's add, of that 70, let's add, like, 10 more games, say, like 80 games that Reed has to win, you know, overall to catch him. So 80 divided by 17 is basically five seasons. And that's assuming that they go undefeated every season. So do I think Andy Reed has five to 10 years left in the tank? I do because he's going to ride it out with Patrick Mahomes. Those two are going to ride that thing out in Kansas City as long as possible. And they keep having success, which I think that they will. I think it's going to get really close down to the end. And I think Andy Reid himself might hang around a little bit if he's close to the line of, you know, Belichick or Shula, whoever it ends up being. Well, and he's going to, he's going to gain a year on Belichick because Belichick's not going to be coaching this year. So Reid is averaging around 12 wins in the regular season alone and postseason wins count for this total as well. So like you add another at least two to three, depending on, how far they go, you know, 12 times four is 48, 14 times four is 56. And again, we're talking about catching Belichick. He's only 44 wins behind him. I'm putting this at a solid nine because, you know, Reed is also seven years younger than Belichick. And what does Andy Reed have? You just said it. He's got Patrick Mahomes. Like, why would you, and Mahomes is only 28 years old. Why would you walk away from that? Like, He's his his coaching career began in 1982 when Joe Montana wasn't even like considered the goat, you know, at that point, you know. So we're 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 talking about three to four goats ago, right? Like like Bart Starr and Johnny Unitas were probably considered the best quarterbacks of all time at that point when Andy Reid's coaching career began. So he's been doing this forever. If you've been doing this that long, why would you quit when you have Patrick Mahomes to attach yourself to? Because that's the thing too is even if Belichick does get back in, which I think is is really 50-50 at best right now, based on all the things you hear about how those interviews went, like some of the concerns that people had were, one, he wanted too much control, and two, the way he handled the quarterback situation post-Brady and you know how he handled the draft post-Brady. Like there's a lot of questions just in terms of, well, this guy wants all this control and player, you know, draft and all this different stuff how much can we actually trust him based on how things went 
in New England. So I give Andy Reid, like, like, don't you think Andy Reid has at least seven more years? Probably. I, I think Andy Reid, I think his retirement is between like 72 and 75. I, I, he will definitely get into his 70s as a head coach. And, you know, a lot of people are in here saying, you know, Andy Reid's success is, is tied directly to Patrick Mahomes. I disagree with that. He had a lot of success before getting with the Chiefs. He just didn't have the quarterback to, to put him over the top, right? And like that's Donovan McNabb was good, but he is not Patrick Mahomes. Right. Good. Like and they I went, was, you gotta remember, like you like it wasn't because they had bad teams. They went to four straight NFC championship yes. games in a Super Bowl and then another NFC championship game a couple years later. So it wasn't, you know, it was like he was just the guy who's kind of like where Kyle Shanahan is right now. He was much younger in his career still. He didn't have Patrick Mahomes, I think, is the biggest thing. But he was also, you know, like some of the some of the things that were kind of dogging him early in his Chiefs career was like, you know, clock management, game management type stuff. He hadn't quite got over that hump. But I think, you know, we've seen having someone who is at the very least in the conversation already at 28 years old for the best quarterback in NFL history, that can cover up some of those other mistakes, right? And to me, that's the biggest difference because he's also got a better defense right now. He had good defenses in Philly, but he didn't doesn't have what he had right now. I do agree. And you know, this I, I found something from about a year and a half ago, so it doesn't account for this season. Um Don Shula, 9.94 wins per season. George Hallis, 7.95. Bill Belichick, 6.3. Tom Landry, 8.62. Andy Reid, 10.13. He's he's got more wins per season than any of those guys, right? So he's winning. It's just Patrick Mahomes has really put him right over the top. And I, I don't think that you can say that that's a kryptonite. That's just a good marriage of the two because Patrick Mahomes isn't good without Andy Reid either. No, that's absolutely right. Now, I, like in that interview that I was talking about that he did on McAfee today, Mahomes, like they asked him, why do you think that this marriage between you two guys is, you know, has worked out for both of you so well? And Mahomes said, because Andy Reid lets me be me. And like, if you take that back to that Travis Kelsey conversation, that's why Travis Kelsey can get away with that because Andy Reid, his his ego isn't such, you know, that he that he feels like he's being disrespected in the middle of the Super Bowl because a guy, you know, is barking at him because he wants to be on the field. Andy Reid lets his players be themselves. And that's such a big part of it as well. And Mahomes said that if he would have gone to another team, that the odds are that there were a lot of coaches who were going to want to put him into a box and be a, you know, a system. certain specific kind of way. Yeah. Like whatever their system is, because you know, the coaches with their systems, you know, and that whole thing. But that's not Andy Reid. He lets the players be who they are. And that's, you know, and what I was getting ready to say is don't forget, like, I think it's what, eight division championships in a row that they've won right now. And the first, what was it? At least two or three of them were with Alex Smith. Well, that's Alex before Smith. Patrick Mahomes ever He was winning up. with Alex Smith. Right. They were winning those divisions, you know, but again, they weren't going anywhere in the playoffs until they finally got Patrick yes. Mahomes. That's when that's when things changed. Is when they got Patrick Mahomes. Did you see that bit? Um, Alex Smith like said, <laughs> like he he was aware that Andy Reid and this and, and the gang were scouting Patrick Mahomes long before. 
the draft. Like they they had pin like kind of similar how to Notre Dame was doing with RJ Oban and Jordan Clark and you know all these players that they're getting out of the portal. They did their homework on Patrick Mahomes. And as soon as like it wasn't a matter of it, it was Patrick Mahomes gonna replace Alex Smith. It was just a matter of when, right? Like they had their guy. Andy Reid knew that this is the guy that he wanted for his team. And I don't know. I just I, I think that 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 goes a long way. Like he Andy Reid called a shot, essentially, in my yeah. opinion. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So probably the most underrated aspect of this year's Chiefs team is Steve Spagnuolo's defense. They held Brock Purdy to 255 passing yards, 60% completion percentage. Brent Smith getting in here just in time. My question, do you see any similarities between what the Chiefs do and what Al Golden's secondary does, Jess? Yeah, I actually have um oh did you bring whiteboard for the people? Yeah, I came with a nice graphic for oh, some Jesse players. brought whiteboard. Um I had a lot to do today, but we still got it done. Um go ahead and pull that up for me. Can you can you see this nice and clear? Uh, I would zoom in a little bit. There Is that a little bit better? A little bit better. I had to blow up my screen, but okay. <laughs> Wow, so, there's a lot of numbers there. <laughs> yeah, so I want you to look at far left. That'll give you some better context. Um, that's opponent. And then next to the opponent is the 49ers. So this is every game from the 49ers um, this season. And so you know, when I was watching this game, it felt like the 49ers were expecting zone coverage on the back end of a lot of Kansas City's blitzes, which was really smart, you know, based on some tendencies so often Debo was the primary read in the drop back game, right? But the problem was, is the Chiefs were playing man while sending extra pressure and they have great corners on the back end who were able to really just stick it, you know, to Debo. And so what this is looking at is I have some numbers highlighted in red and those are the important numbers. And what this is showing is in the bottom left here, the Chiefs play cover zero against the 49ers on 21% of the snaps. They played cover one, 40% of the snaps. So altogether, they were playing man 64% of the time against the San Francisco 49ers. But they were doing this while showing zone, blitzing, and then playing a lot of man on the backside of this. So the question is, how does this relate you know, to, to Al Golan? I think this directly – relates to Al Golden because what does Notre Dame have? 
They have tremendous corners. And what does Al, Al Golden like to do? He likes to bring pressure right. and play a lot of man and cover zero. And this is why it worked against Brock Purdy and an inexperienced quarterback, in my opinion. Brock Purdy didn't know how to handle those pre-snap looks of getting zone and being able to adjust to man while also having pressure in his face. And that's what we see Al Golden do so much with Notre Dame is he is bringing a lot of pressure and playing man on the backside of it, but also showing zone pre-snap. And if you start thinking about it, what game does that remind you of? That reminds me of the Caleb Williams game, Caleb Williams game against USC this season where he threw all the interceptions. He was getting pressure in his face, and Notre Dame was playing man on the backside of it, but showing zone you know, up front at the line of scrimmage. And that's ultimately what led to Caleb Williams' downfall. If you don't have an uber-talented quarterback like Patrick Mahomes and maybe Justin Herbert and you know some of the top-end quarterbacks in our league – I don't you're going to give those types of quarterbacks a lot of trouble when you're bringing pressure into their face and they can't determine pre-snap what's going on. And so I felt that Brock Purdy in the Super Bowl game was a limiting factor. And if they had a quarterback that was a little bit closer to Patrick Mahomes level, I think they would have won that game. But you have to give credit to Spagnola of showing a ton of zone pre-snap and then just honestly having having the courage to run so much cover zero and cover one on the backside while bringing blitz. And I just, that, that just reminds me so much of how Al Golden runs this defense, because there's been times where I'm like, why is he blitzing on third down? Why is he blitzing on second down? But the more I think about it, it's, it's the more confusion that you can provide to the quarterback post or sorry, pre-snap to post-snap. Brent begs to differ with you. He says Purdy was 12 of 18 with 135 yards and a touchdown <laughs> versus pressure. Uh, he missed the touchdown to um, – there There were two plays towards the end there where they got pressure in his face and they had wide open wide receivers. It's because Brock Purdy didn't adjust the, the protection at the line of scrimmage because he thought he was getting zone and they blitzed him and played man. I, I just – I don't know what else to really say about that. Yeah, I mean – I think Chris Jones would uh, beg to differ with what Brent is saying. And I think McDuffie would beg to differ with, you know, what he was saying when, you know, couple, you know, you're right. He might've been 12 of 18 overall, but there were six incompletions. And of those six incompletions, some, you know, a couple of them came on the most crucial drive of the game when they weren't able to punch it into the end zone. Right. Like, yeah. Not saying that you know that he that he stunk all the time, but what what you're saying, and Tony Romo pointed out some of what you're talking about. They confused Brock Purdy just enough that it made him ineffective at times. That doesn't mean that he had a horrible game. I don't think anyone's putting the the 49ers loss on. It was on just Purdy, a chess match the entire game. Yeah, yeah. The you know the two biggest differences in the game were Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs defense. Is what it you know what it comes down to. I just thought that those numbers were interesting because, again, I think so I think Brent, we, if they were you know they're, he said they're twenty sixth in in pass protection. Okay, but they got to the Super Bowl. So like what? I don't I don't I don't know. I mean Patrick Mahomes <laughs> had arguably the worst tackle in the league, the most penalized tackle in the league, and I mean they they found a way to get it done. And the 49ers have an All Pro first ballot Hall of Famer Trent Williams at their left tackle position. So. I mean, it goes both ways. I, I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and and and, and you know d 
diss any player. Right. I'm just it's pointing out what I noticed about again the what comparison led to was to was Chiefs defense to Notre Dame defense and how you can what confuse the quarterback at how times. you can confuse a quarterback pre-snap and pressure in their face, right. which what Notre Dame does so much of like. Like we've even on this show said that, you know, why is Al Golden blitzing so much? But after watching the game, seeing these numbers, it just makes sense that even if you're not getting home on the blitz, you're still rushing up, you know, an errant pass. You're getting in the quarterback's face. You're changing his reads. You're making him think about things in a split decision. Right. And so that's that's what Al Golden is so good at is getting pressure on these quarterbacks and forcing them to make a decision. And okay. Sometimes do those decisions like do they not work? Right, like they, it's not going to be successful every time. But what Al Golden and Spags are both basically saying is we're willing to roll the dice and 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 live with the seventy percent chance that it's going to work and the thirty to twenty five percent chance that it's not going to work. Uh, Brent, come on, man, you're you're missing the whole point. This this is not a knock on the 49ers. like. You're you're a passionate 49ers fan, and that's how you're taking it. That's not even what any of this is meant to talk about. But you're a little bit blind right now because you're still pissed off that Kyle Shanahan sucks. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's what you were saying the whole show yesterday. So and now we've got people chiming in about penalties like you remember the defensive holding penalty that helped out the 49ers, the defensive holding penalty on the chiefs. Do you remember that? Like, would you rather see flags thrown all game? And you remember a year ago when all anybody was talking about the day after the super bowl was the penalty. Should it have been a penalty? Do you throw the flag in that situation and all that garbage? Would you rather have that than, you know, what we saw, how the game was officiated. I thought the game was officiated pretty well. You know, there's, there's holding on every play and whether, you know, whether or not you want to call it, is the only question like so so don't give me this garbage about the super bowl was decided because the the referees didn't throw enough flags i don't want to hear that crap it was a it was a well-played super bowl that's yeah i thought it was great and i thought the play that that ultimately won the game not won the game but really swayed the game is that double corner blitz on third and four and purdy threw it right into the blitzer and they knocked it down and had to settle for the field goal and overtime that won the game for them spagnola bringing that double corner blitz won the game for them. And that's all I was trying to get at is he dialed up pressures when it mattered most and it was successful. And I feel like that's how Al Golden runs his defenses. He's willing to roll the dice in high leverage situations and trust his uber talented corners on the backside, just like the Chiefs have uber talented quarters and and roll the dice and get pressure on the quarterback. That's all I was trying to say. (laughs) Turn the page, fill in the blank. It's blank that the Super Bowl broke an all-time viewership record for any broadcast in the United States with 123.4 million viewers. It's not a surprise that the Super Bowl Hold it. Broke you know, again, again, Josh, you're, you you want to you want to say that the NFL had a hand in the Chiefs winning when they threw a defensive holding penalty on the Chiefs in a crucial situation that helped the 49ers, but the 49ers couldn't capitalize on it. But you want to blame the NFL. Okay, cool. Next conspiracy theory. Go ahead, Jess, viewership. (laughs) Uh, I was not surprised by the viewership in Super Bowl 58. 
Uh, in our rapid fire show leading up to the Super Bowl, I thought that we were going to get, I think the number I threw out there was like 120 million and it, and it exceeded it. We got 123 million. And I'm not surprised because it involves the Chiefs and it involves all of Taylor Swift's fans as well. And so when you combine the two, you're going to break a record. And, you know, whether the people want to complain about Taylor Swift or not, it worked. It made money for the NFL. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. That's exactly right. You know, we were we were guessing our viewership on Friday. I believe I said in the 123 million ballpark. So I'll pat myself on the back for for my guess. And but you know, all of the above. It the Super Bowl every year is the most viewed game ever. And you, you know, you throw in this Swift factor, and that had a major influence on it. You know, whether you know a lot of people want to believe it or or not. And like Vince was sitting here saying yesterday, his young daughters wanted to watch the Super Bowl because they wanted to see Taylor Swift, you know, and and so that had a big impact on it. Um it helps that it was a a good game. It helps that you've got one of the most popular and best players in the NFL right now against a franchise, you know, that's that's uh it developed a lot of its, you know, its own national following back in the '80s, you know, with the success of Joe Montana and all that. So, I think it was a, you know, kind of a, a perfect storm, and uh, I'm not surprised that it that it set the record. Chief Brody says it's a television program; doesn't feel like true competition anymore. To be honest, I mean. Honestly, the way TV networks look at it, it's all just a television program, regardless of what sport it is. College football, NFL, NBA, college basketball, whatever it happens to be. It's all just a TV program to them, and that's really you know, what it comes down to. Anthony says he would rather hear Cowboys talk or Cubs talk <laughs> over Jesse over the Swifties. Well, guess what? Taylor Swift got a total of 54 seconds of airtime. During the Super Bowl, one percent of the airtime during the Super Bowl. But people like Anthony ah, can't handle it. Here's my question, though: Have you reached your fill of Swifty or Travis Kelsey exposure, Jesse? No, I I actually love it. Like I I saw this video of them, you know, doing their thing in the club afterwards, and then it pans over to Kelsey's brother, who's just like going crazy with the DJ with his Ray Mysterio mask on. like That was hysterical. I don't... The Jason Kelsey aspect of it when you throw him in. Right. I don't... You know, I don't... I don't care. Like, it's... I I have them blocked on... Their, their names blocked on Twitter. And so I don't see tweets about them. But when I see the videos and stuff like that, like, I just... I don't care. I think Kelsey's a... Like, if Kelsey was my friend, like, we would get along. Like, I think Kelsey's a sweet dude. I think he's good at football. <laughs> And he'd be someone fun to hang out with. And now he's got a, a girlfriend that everyone's jealous of. So, like, I don't care at all, to be honest with you. I, I don't – it does not bother me. I honestly – like, I, I was saying this to Vince yesterday. The, the Kelsey – like, there's almost – I've almost reached Kelsey overexposure, though, I think. Like, why did he need to be up there on the stage after the game? It's not like he had a great game, right? <laughs> yeah. He was literally up there to give them another excuse, you know, one for Jim Nance to get him to do the, you know, fight for your right to party. And he throws in the Viva Las Vegas and all that 
kind of stuff. And I mean, it, it's literally to give him excuse to point the camera at his girlfriend. I was, you know, and then I saw some of the stuff on social media afterwards. It looked like he was about to rip her neck off when they were making out, you know, with their <laughs> post-game makeout session. It's like, all right, all right. But adding Jason Kelsey to the mix now, now that he is, you know, a civilian again, you know, that that is uh I don't know. I've never listened to their podcast. Maybe I need to start listening to their podcasts. I don't know. See how it goes. Whiteboard wagers, Jesse. Do you have any whiteboard wagers? Lock of the day. Yeah, I came up. Uh, I, I have I have one lock of the day. Uh, I won't be as long as last time, but I'll kind of walk through my thought process and we'll get going here a little bit. So, okay. I I wanted I I specifically looked at um grace or sorry the the kings versus sons this evening two teams with identical records two teams who have played each other three times so this is their fourth time this season and then i just started looking you know shopping at some lines and i i really liked grayson allen's um over one and a half threes made and i'll tell you why um i have this cool app that basically shows you these these stats i'm looking at right now so the, the, the line right now for Grayson Allen is minus 180. Um, in his last 25 games, he's hit this line 19 of 25 times, implying that the bet should be minus 316. So a bet that's minus 180, and in his last 25, they're saying the odds should be minus 316. That automatically raises my eyebrow in terms of value. Then you start looking at the last 10 games. He's hit it 6 of 10. And his last five games, he's hit it three of five. Okay, so now we're looking at, you know, Grayson Allen uh, by itself, minus 186, $50 would only win you, you know, just about $26. I don't, that's not enough really for me. So I start looking at, you know, what can I do to boost this odds a little bit? How can I get this closer to minus 100? And then I start looking at Giannis's points. Um, in his last 25 games, I picked uh, his alt line of 25 points. He's hit that in 21 of 25. In his last 10, he's hit that 7 of 10. In his last five, he's hit that 3 of 5. So, again, looking at Grayson Allen's threes, this is kind of a, a type up or a summary of why I liked it. Fourth matchup of the season in his last 25 and his last 10 and 5. These are kind of the odds implying what it would be. But the most important stat to me is they've played each other you know, and, and, and his games against the Kings this season, he's three of six from three on the, you know, back in December, he was nine of 14 against them just about a month ago. Um, he's hit this line in six straight against the Kings and he shoots 53% from three at home. That's, that's a pretty big number. And I think the, the line that stuck out to me the most is the Kings are the worst team in the league at guarding the three. They allow opposing teams to shoot just about 40 percent for you know from three for opposing teams so you know you pair this with Giannis at 25 points you get a nice little two-leg parlay at minus 102 and that's what I did this evening I really like Grayson Allen's threes just because okay the Kings play a fast tempo and they're one of the worst teams at guarding the three this season so this so your is parlay is Grayson Allen over one and a half three-pointers and Giannis on it a comp on to score 25 plus points. Yep. All right. There it is. And you're very confident in that. <laughs> very confident. 
$50 worth confident. All right. Giannis over Giannis 25 plus and Grayson Allen over one and a half three pointers. All right. All right. Good stuff. But oh, Brent, Brent is still going. <laughs> Brent is still going. Brent, you're gonna you're gonna have to vent by yourself because we're gonna wrap things up right now. Um, you know, I, I think that we just need to uh let you two go back and we forth. We can have our own show. Literally butt heads. Oh, Brent Smith, you you brought up a really good question here. I'd like to to get into the chat. He said, okay, who's winning a Super Bowl first, the 49ers or the Cowboys? I, you know, it's really funny because the Cowboys have a most recent Super Bowl, but the 49ers have had the torture of so many Super Bowl appearances, NFC Championship appearances. I don't feel bad. Y'all have not won a Super Bowl sooner than the Cowboys have, yet you keep getting second place every year. So I don't know which is worse. And I don't know how that even became the question. Like Jesse's Jesse's whole point was looking at things that Spagnolo's defense does <laughs> that is similar to concepts that Al Golden has. And Brent turned that into, well, the offensive line stinks and Brock Purdy is better than you think. And the damn game went to overtime. <laughs> it went down to the wire. It basically was like, a tie. Right. Like, Okay. Someone had to win. Great. You've made all these points. What does that have to do with who's going to win a Super Bowl first, the 49ers, or the Cowboys? Like, Jesse brings up a good point. As of right now, the Cowboys still have the more recent Super Bowl. Even though you've been to three Super Bowls, you've lost. Like, Just keep if I were going to bet, though, I would bet on the 49ers, even though that has nothing to do with the question <laughs> or the topic that we were talking about. You're just, you're just very, you're just very hurt by the fact that the 49ers lost i get that like i am still not completely over the way the cowboys just got their butts rolled by the green bay packers in a home game i'm not so i get the fact that you're hurt by this brent because it's two days after the super bowl <laughs> your team lost again your team lost again brent so <laughs> just i gave up. you my condolences yesterday <laughs> like you, you, I feel sorry for because you're a fan and you're mad that your team lost, but I'm not sorry that the 49ers lost. That's so, so that's, that's the part. If Brent, if this was anyone but the 49ers, I'd let it be able to just roll off, but it's the 49ers. I appreciate your fandom. You, I, you and I are the same person. I blindly defend a lot of Cowboy players. Brent Probably says a little bit 30 minutes. So I guess he's commenting on stuff that we talked about 30 minutes ago. I don't know. I don't know where it's like. We're in the twilight zone. We're communicating on different time planes right now. Have a great night. Enjoy your Valentine's Day since we won't be here tomorrow. And we will talk to you later in the week, though. Brent, if you really need to, you know, keep venting with your 49ers stuff, I guess we'll be here. But otherwise, have a great one, everybody. And we will talk to you later on Ivy Nation Sports Talk.
it's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com